Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with Wild Hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs. Hello and welcome back to the Wild Hearts at Work podcast. I am your host, Melissa Boggs, and I have an amazing guest this week. I cannot wait to introduce you to this incredibly accomplished, intelligent, and most importantly to me, fun woman, Dr. Allie Hill. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Allie Hill before I bring her on with me. Dr. Allie Hill has a PhD in sociology. She's the founder of Sound Advice Women and the managing director of Sound Advice Consulting. She is the former CEO of the Jewish Community Center in Denver, uh, worked for Girl Scouts of America. She's a speaker. She's a writer. She's a coach. She's an advisor. She is all the things. And for me, she was my executive coach for a number of years. So she has a very special place in my heart. I am excited to introduce you all to Dr. Allie Hill. Welcome to the show. Can I call you Allie? You absolutely can. Thank you, Melissa, for having me on. I'm super excited to talk with you today about all of the wild heart at work things. We, I am super excited to have you too. We have conversations all the time about well, my wild heart to begin with, and then all the other wild hearts that we've encountered in the, I don't know, three years, four years that we've known each other now. Yeah, It's a lot. I'm not sure if it's three or four, actually. Everything in the before times, as oh. we call pre-COVID, is a little bit of a blur. So. Right. It all comes together. Um, yeah, I was excited to have you on, though, because truly we have had a lot of conversations, you know, when we were actively working together as coach and client, but we've also become friends. You have a book club that I try to participate in when <laughs> I have the time. Um, and it all centers around like the magic and the power of women of entrepreneurship. And to me, those things come together in, you know, also just these wild hearts. Um, so first of all, I have to imagine not having known you as a, you know, young in your career, that you've always been a little bit of a wild heart yourself. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think for me, the biggest problem I had when I worked for people other than myself was that I never fit in any of the boxes. So, um, you know, I always um, saw the bigger picture um, as I was trained as a sociologist to see macro that got even more intense. Um, so um, absolutely, positively, the idea that I would ever only be one thing was always problematic and 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 actually really hard for me to do, um, which ultimately led to my recognizing I needed to be in a place where I could bring all of me at once, which in my world meant something I created myself. Amazing. And so do you think that helps you spot other people that are like you? Does it help you spot them and, and want to reach out to them? My wild heart, Dar. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing, right? When you are in a room full of people and you understand by the name, you know, on the schedule, what they're going to be talking about, but you can see that they have more to say, or they're tying together multiple pieces of something that typically wouldn't be done with somebody in that title. That's when I say, oh, I want to talk to them more because they are recognizing 
you know, whether it's recognizing something macro or whether they have put together pieces that um, is going to be critical for the organization to hear, but the organization might not be ready to hear it from them, right, for whatever reason. Um, I absolutely can see people who are either not sharing everything they have to say. <laughs> I'm watching their body language, facial expression, voice tone. That's where some of my work in emotional intelligence helps me figure out who those people are. Um, also, um, I can see it when, um, I can see it when they have an insight in a moment where you wouldn't think they would be raising their hand to speak. Even if they don't necessarily see it as outside the scope of their work, they're not having that aha moment that, wow, I am making um, associations that maybe aren't typical for somebody in my role, but I see it happening. And I have gone over to people and actually said, you know, I really appreciated how you tied X and Y together. That's atypical for somebody who in your role is often focused. And I, and I, you know, we talk about this a lot in my world. I almost give them permission Mm -hmm. to say, oh, well, yeah, well, I see that all the time, or nobody's ever said to me they've noticed that, or thank you for recognizing that this is bigger than sometimes other people see it as. So yeah, I'm in the, I'm often in the business of parroting back to them what they have said and then contextualizing it in that kind of Elizabeth Gilbert permission-granting way um, that I find a lot of people actually really appreciate it. Absolutely. And it's funny because I've had a lot of questions about what does what does wild heart mean, right? And I think it actually can mean different things to different people. And at the end of the day, it's the people in the organization who are not just willing to, but really like need to move beyond the box that they have been put in. And so I think you put it really well. I feel like this definition is going to evolve with every interview that we have because, you know, we all feel a portion of this. We all, um, you know, everyone sees things slightly differently, but there are these people that have a need to see it differently, have a need to behave differently, to not do things the way that they've always been done. Um, so yeah, I loved your, the way that you described it. Oh, thank you. And, you know, I want to say along those lines, having this need, as you've described, really and truly is um, labeled based upon the culture of the organization, right? So for some organizations, that intrapreneur, right? That wild at heart, that person who sees things differently is the person who is, you know, to use, you know, religious language, they are the prophet. They are seeing mm -hmm. something that we should follow. And then there are some people who that same behavior is the troublemaker, and, you know, I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't point that out as you were speaking, that the culture is really going to define this that behavior. It's going to label it differently. It could be the exact same behavior, but it's going to come out as a different word based upon whether or not it is well received. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our very first interview on this podcast was with my original CEO from the company that I would say I grew up in. And one of the things I'm most grateful for was that, you know, the attitude that I had that I wanted to try things differently and do things differently, that wasn't just welcomed, it was encouraged, it was incentivized, et cetera. And I was going to ask you that question. Um, I know that we have some leaders listening 
who are quite self-aware, are quite culture-aware, and frankly are wild-hearted themselves, what advice do we give them about how to create that? Like how to, we're going to talk later about entrepreneurship for sure. And I'm not talking about holding people back from that, but how do we help people who actually want to be in a corporate, excuse me, corporate atmosphere feel like they can be wild at heart because that's where the innovation comes from. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I have been inside organizations, you know, I have been an entrepreneur, as you said, I have been the CEO of large organizations. I think really the question that a leader has to ask themselves first and foremost is, is this a core value of theirs that they want to create career paths within their organization, that they want to create sort of, um, an agile way of looking at people's roles, right? Lowercase a, <laughs> that, um, that if they find that, that for every single person in the organization, they want to create a culture of what I like to say, where people are safe, respected, and valued. And in their mind, safety, respect, and value, and making people feel valued comes from allowing and incentivizing, as you said, and almost expecting them to come with their full selves, right? Mm. Their full self is never going to fall into a box. And if they come with their full self, what is the culture within the organization to support full selves when aspects of that may not fit into the job description, right? Are you creating opportunities where you basically say, we would like to discuss this problem or this project or this opportunity? Anybody who has an idea is welcome, regardless of where you sit in the organization and regardless of your job title, right? That Do they have a philosophy that good ideas come from anywhere, right? Not hierarchical, not um, that if you are working in one line of business, you clearly could not have a viable idea about another. So we are now talking about creating, whether it is um, a meeting structure, a chat forum structure, where people are explicitly, again, given permission in those moments to give, um, to offer thinking that has nothing to do, quote unquote, with the role that they are there for. This is a systemic um, investment. If a leader really feels like this is what they want, you know, as I said, it's about chat forums, it's about in-person meetings, it's about Zoom meetings, where you are explicitly asking for it. Along those lines, you are also hiring into your HR function people who are not solely there to manage risk, who are not solely there to administer benefits, who are not solely there to run payroll, but who are actually career growth professionals who are there to notice, wow, Melissa is here in this role, but I see that she has other ways that this organization could utilize her expertise, passion, knowledge, so that you have these kind of detectives, if you will, these career-oriented professionals. So again, there's real investment you're making. There's a financial investment. There's a time investment. That is something that I think a leader who has, by the way, the capacity to alter the budget, to put these type of people in there, who understands and values time management in a way where they are not doing this sporadically, but it's actually an intentional ask, you know, um, in, in very specific ways at very specific times, you're really building an infrastructure of entrepreneurship, right? Mm. And I think that 
and, and, and you need to be intentional and you need to be proactive. This is different, by the way, from a leader who says, wow, I have got a rock star in Melissa and I see she's getting bored. And I don't necessarily have a role to move her into, but I want to make sure that she feels valued because if she doesn't, she's going to leap because I know we're in the middle of the great resignation. And I know the headhunters are calling up smart people and headhunting them out of positions because, by the way, that is happening actively right now. And I want to help her feel valued. That, to me, is not a collective investment. That is a one-on-one conversation. And as leaders, we need to decide, do we have that urgent or emergent moment where we have a person who we are fearful is going to leave and we need to kind of create something interesting enough for them that they won't? And or is this a proactive stance around culture of creating, right, creating infrastructure for entrepreneurship for everyone? I love that. So when you talk about the infrastructure for entrepreneurship, of course, that appeals to me. Of course, that seems obvious to me, but I recognize that I'm the target audience, right? Like, (laughs) you know, that would work for me. Why wouldn't a leader, beyond the investment, you already talked about sort of the time and the money investment, but what would prevent a leader from wanting to do that? What's the risk or the, the fear that might be associated with doing something like that? Sure. Well, so as leaders, many of us have inherited a culture, right? Unless we have started ourselves, we are inside of an already existing institution that we have been given to kind of you know, put our special sauce and seasoning, sprinkle it in. But many of us are not given the freedom or flexibility to overhaul, right? So one reason um, a leader might not feel that they can do this besides budget and time is they're not sure if it will be well-received by the other people in leadership if they are reporting to some sort of a board of directors in a a for-profit or a not-for-profit environment. They may be fearful that they're somehow you know, opening Pandora's box or allowing to, you know, you know, um, allowing too many people to have opinions, right? People get really nervous if they don't have an infrastructure or a way to manage the kind of qualitative data that comes at them when they ask people for their opinions, for their impressions. Do you have a better way of doing something? Or so I think one of the other hesitations that um, a leader may have is, again, they're not quite sure if they have permission? And will it be well received by the organization? And also the infrastructure on the data side, I mean, this is where I get to be the, you know, nerdy sociologist. This is qualitative data. How are you capturing it? And then how are you using it? Because here's the other thing. People hate being asked for their opinion, only to have that opinion end up in an Excel spreadsheet or some other data repository with no trajectory for implementation. So where I would say a leader might have caution, which they should, is if they don't have the way to utilize that data, right? Don't go out there asking people to kind of um, emote or um, invest in your, uh, uh, you know, kind of desire for whole uh, people to show up. If you're not really ready for them to show up wholly, and then show them how you're going to use the data afterwards. So I, as a leader, would always say when I was asking my team for input, before I ask you these questions, I want to explain to you how I plan to use it. And I was always really careful to say how I plan to use it, not how I'm going to use it. 
because I wanted the freedom and flexibility to have that plan change. I wanted to be able to say, this is our plan for this. This is my goal. But please know that depending upon how it was, it is how much data I receive, it may elongate the timeline by which I get back to you. Or um, the kinds of data I receive may end up with my needing to do some deeper infrastructure um, alterations than I had originally expected. I promise to be in touch with you as things change and evolve with timelines that I can stick to. And I also promise that your opinion matters. What I can't promise is exactly when I will be back to you or how it will be used. And I found when I did that, whether it was in a weekly stand-up that I used to do where people would ask me questions, where I would ask them to tell me something that I need to know that they know better than I, even if it's outside their scope of work, I always gave myself and them permission to... um, Permission to be heard, but not necessarily tied to an exact date of when the knowledge would be transmitted back and implemented. I think that's super, super important. It really is. I think that is something that keeps a lot of leaders. I've I've certainly been in that situation myself where you're you're afraid to ask because you don't know, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, and even though what you're going to get could be absolutely incredible, you don't know what you can do with what you get. So I think that communication upfront is incredibly important. And I think most people understand that when you say it out loud. If you don't say it out loud, then they start writing their own stories once they've given you the information and then you're not doing anything with it. So, yeah, that's brilliant. So I'm going to switch almost to the other side of that. I know that you work, work with a lot of these types of people. What is the flip side of it? What are the things that you hear from these incredibly creative and maybe a little bit rebellious people who don't fit in a box when their leader is not doing that, when they are not given the permission to be their whole selves, when they can't act on the creativity that's sort of swirling around inside them? I think when that happens, people end up um, self-protecting in ways that lead to apathy and the apathy leads to them being less inquisitive about their work, which leads to them being less effective. To be frank, I really think it becomes this snowball effect when you are not bringing your full self because you feel like things that you are, are interested in pursuing will not be well-received. I feel like there is this, um, like, how do I say this? You start indiscriminately holding back, It doesn't get boxed to just the thing you're not supposed to be doing. It starts to filter into the thing you are because that's the way that you self-protect. You start to show up and kind of trade your time for money. You, you know, you think about what you're offering is labor power, right? Not to get too much into Marxism and capitalism. Remember I am a sociologist, so I, I can go there, but, um, it's really important, right? I think, you know, um, uh, Mohammed Yunus, you know, who's a Nobel um, Peace Prize winner for his work in microfinance. Um, he talks about how he believes that, you know, as, um, you know, as humans, we were always entrepreneurs, right? Um, but what ended up happening was as um, our, as modernity hit, even the industrial revolution, 
all of a sudden we were started, we were called labor, right? We weren't just making sure that we were innovative to make sure our family ate or to find the best cave to sleep in. All of a sudden we were labor. And instead of being entrepreneurs, we worked for other people because our self-concept changed, right? And this is, you know, he's talking about evolution. He's talking about the history of humanity and homo sapiens. But I'm saying that there is a micro situation that happens similarly, where when in an organization you feel solely that you were there for your labor, but you were not there for your full self, or you are not there for your ideas, I think you actually start to do your job less well that you were hired to do, which is why it's so important to have infrastructure for people who have more to offer than their job title suggests. Hmm. So we've talked about these type of people existing, what leaders can do to create that infrastructure, what happens if they don't. I imagine that you are often in the situation where you're talking with people who kind of have to make a decision. Am I going to stay and try to change the system that I'm in and make a difference in the system that I am in? Or am I going to launch into the world and do my own thing. And this is a big piece of the great resignation that people are talking about, right? Right. People are not necessarily resigning to go to another company, although that's part of it. But I think a lot of people also have recognized that they can go do their own thing and like do the thing they're passionate about and make money doing it. How do you walk those people through as a coach, that decision-making process? Should I stay and make a difference or should I go and do something else that I'm passionate about? Sure. Well, so I think a couple of things, right? First and foremost, sometimes the things they are passionate about have absolutely nothing to do with what they do for work. So in those moments where really it's completely outside the scope of what they could ever do in the corporation they work for, and they're feeling drawn to it, that is a time when you say, well, we need to make you a plan to leave. Because if you are a fundraiser and you're really interested in becoming um, a fine artist. There is not always a way for you to do what you do for yourself, right? So I want to say that first and foremost, that not everybody's entrepreneurial venture is any sort of a reflection of the thing that they were doing inside corporate, right? However, when it is, right, when it's more, you know, I'm wondering whether or not I can do this better or I can do this differently, really and truly the question becomes issues of motivation, right? How do they define success for themselves? A person who defines success as financial freedom and does not feel they will ever be able to earn what they want in the band and the salary thingamabob in there, you know, then, then, then that might be the answer. It's time to move when you feel as if financial freedom will always be outside your grasp by the nature of how these corporations look at skill set and what you were brought in as and the raises and all the kinds of stuff that goes into human resource management, right? So that's a question. If they say that they define success as being able to only work with people whom they really like and in their corporate environment, they will always have to work with the client that they were given. That is another time we say, I think then what you're saying is that level of choosing your client is never going to be the case in your current environment. And if that is the way you define success for yourself, well, then you need to leave. If they say that um, flexibility, that they want to be in a results only work environment, row environment for anybody who you know does the row stuff, but they have a culture that they 
are required to have their butt in a seat at a certain time. That FaceTime, whether it's at this point on Zoom or in person, is kind of the love language of their corporation. And they want to be, and they are, you know, hugely prolific at night or hugely prolific at four in the morning. And they constantly feel that their best hours are not the hours where they are working. Then, and that's, and they define success as bringing their best work to the table and they can't do it between nine and five because of bio rhythms, then that's the time that we say to them, it's time to jump, right? So I really always want to start with how they define success and whether or not they feel that success can be met in their current environment, because then it's they who are telling me it's time to jump, not me telling them. Beautiful. How often do they decide to stay? Like how often do they find like, no, I'm really dedicated to this mission. And like, I actually really care about this company. I just need to find a way to let my spark fly. Does that happen? Sure. It it definitely does happen. Um, However, I have yet to find a person. So you have to remember, I work with entrepreneurs. In general, when somebody seeks me out, they want help leaping, right? In general, they're not coming to me to help them um, stay. And in fact, I just turned down a client who wanted help in her corporate um, environment because my real goal is to have women leave their corporate environments, right? So, but so one of the things that um, I have a client who came to work with me um, to leave her corporate environment, she stayed, um, but she did not stay for passion. She stayed for obligation. And that obligation was not only to her team, but she had some familial obligations that made her very concerned about the uncertainty of income, as well as the uncertainty of being able to purchase a home without a W-2, which is a whole nother conversation and complexity around the way policy impacts on people's decisions because of the very real thing of it being very, very hard right now to buy a home without a W-2. So um, I have not had a client, believe it or not, who stayed um, at, unless they felt they had obligations, not because the corporation turned around and met their needs. So no, I I actually, I haven't had that situation. That's actually great. I mean, part of the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is to talk about, um, these entrepreneurs at work because Mm -hmm. this exists, you know, and they are seeking out people like you to make a change in part because they have something inside them that maybe doesn't tie to their day job, but also because corporations are not providing that infrastructure that we just talked about. Right. So in, in the stories and the the examples that you just gave, there were a couple that sort of came up to me. You know, what if that fundraiser that you talked about in the very ver- first example had the ability to put on some sort of, you know, fundraising event that actually shown a light on their artistry, you know, and their ability to be an artist. But often, you know, there's these parameters on what you can do in your job. And so that one, um, what if your second example, they were actually able to put some of their own parameters about what kind of clients they wanted to work with, right? And then lastly, the part where you were talking about remote work and like setting your own schedule, a, a previous episode, I talked about the great reckoning which is sort of in parallel with the great resignation, but it's this realization that leaders are having and going to have to have that the pandemic changed how we view our work. 
Yes. And we have proven that we are able to be productive at, you know, three in the afternoon or three in the morning in our pajamas at home. And there is a reckoning that leaders are having right now that we can either recognize that or we're going to start to lose people because people are wild and that's, what's amazing about them. Um, So part of the reason that I wanted to have you on was to kind of tie those things together that um, it's like the, the quote that you said that we are all entrepreneurs, right? Um, I didn't capture on video, but in my preparation for interviewing Doug Harrison in my very first episode, he said to me kind of off camera that everyone is a wild heart in some way right? It's just that most of us have never been treated in such a way that we let that out, that that we feel safe, you know, talking about, hey, I see a totally upside down way that I could approach that problem, but I don't trust that anyone else is going to see it. And so to tie it all back to, you know, sort of what you're talking about, leaders are going to have to reckon with creating that infrastructure, or we're going to have a lot more entrepreneurs and businesses out in the world, which is also awesome, by the way. Like, I don't think we can go wrong at this point, you know, with what we've learned during COVID. Uh, You know, I agree. And I think, you know, here's the thing, you know, using your examples from my examples, one of the ways that leaders can kind of create space is asking people who work on their teams to define success for themselves. Right. So so a way that you can um, uncover somebody's need that, you know, um, a leader may say, well, gosh, you never told me that you, um, you know, really struggle when clients are chosen for you to bring your full self because you had no part in selecting the person you're now going to be working with. But you never told me. But this is that permission granting. And this is where leaders do need to come in and kind of be one step ahead, right? I've been a consultant for a really long time. I um, am trained in a way where, first of all, I never bring up a problem unless I have a solution, right? You can't do, if you're a consultant, that's what you learn. But also you need to be one step ahead of what might go wrong, right? And so if, if leaders start to say to themselves, I know that this job can't be the full complexity of this human, So what I'm going to do at the beginning when we onboard anyone, or maybe in our interview process even, is start to ask them how they would define, how they define success. What do they value? What, and, 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 um, and explain to them that we are asking them this question because we want to make sure that we create a culture where they can be successful without assuming what success looks like for them, without asking them to, um, you know, from what Doug was saying, right, that we're all wild hearts, but I, you know, using my language, but nobody gave us permission. People really need to feel that they will be safe. And that comes from a leader who gives them permission, you know, um, really having an open door policy as best you can as a leader, really believing that good ideas will come from anywhere and asking people how they define success so that then you and they can determine whether or not they are successful. Right. I think that that's something that also is really important is when people are receiving success metrics in some sort of review, but that's successful for the company. It's not successful for them. And they don't necessarily feel like they were supposed to 
ask for that. But if you don't want them leaving to feel successful, then you need to make sure that you and they are aligned. It's not that it's in lieu of, right? This is an abundance mindset, not a scarcity, not zero sum. You have to care about what the corporation says is success. Well, it, you know, in spite of your own. No, how about we say there's room for me to be successful as an individual as I also contribute to the success of this organization. Can you tell me what success looks like for the corporation so I understand what I'm being held to? And can I tell you what is going to make me feel successful so that you don't have turnover, basically, right? Definitely. And I, we don't have that conversation enough because most of us, I think this is a little bit generational too. Most of us have been conditioned not to ask those additional questions or, you know, we've all been conditioned to sort of subjugate our own needs, our own desires for success to the companies. And it's so much more powerful. I'm just sort of just reframing what you said, but it's so much more powerful when you can reframe your own success, actually not subjugated, but as tied and connected to, because suddenly now you're, helping yourself on the way to helping the company. And we just don't have enough of those conversations. I say it's generational because I also mentioned, mentioned this in the great reckoning episode, but I do see like my daughter who's 15. I absolutely see my daughter will have these conversations and not just because I'm telling her to, you know, or because she's listening to the podcast, (laughs) but her generation is much more informed much more educated. They know so much more about what's out in the world and what's available to them that they value them. Well, I don't know if I can say they value themselves more, but they have permission to value themselves more and therefore say, no, you actually have to kind of sell the company to me too. And why should I care about this mission? Because I could go and, you know, work for myself. Exactly. And I actually think ultimately our ability to self-advocate, right, is going to change everything. It is going to, you know, uh, as parents, right, you know, uh, I mean, this was never a good parenting strategy, but nowadays if you try that because I said so, I mean, right, just forget it. It it should have never been, but it was kind of an accepted way of doing it. You would then have cranky, frustrated, and disempowered children, which created other issues, but it was kind of like, you know, asked and answered, right? Now that is um, from what I'm seeing. And again, this is not only generational, you know, we need to think about this. Um, These parenting styles also have other sociological implications. They have socioeconomic implications. They have racial ethnic implications. We're also talking about power and privilege here, right? And how people are raised to believe they are going to be safe and their families are going to be safe. So certain self-advocacy moments are not going to happen for marginalized populations because they are fearful to rock the boat in a way that will shed light on them that could put them at risk or jeopardy in in myriad ways. However, overall, I do think that there is... um, If we really want the best people for the team, right, this is the whole diversity, equity and inclusion conversation we're having right now, then we do need to recognize that the best person for the team is their full self. Right. So kind of a little twist on it. It's not we're not just looking at racial economics. You know, we're not looking at gender. 
we are looking at the best person for the team is the person who gets to bring their full self to work. Then it encompasses all of these identity politics aspects that are kind of on the hot seat right now. So if we instead as leaders say, I want you to bring your full self, period, what does that look like? And that also looks like, well, I also really love to do this, or I really have a hard time when I am not part of the selection process for somebody who I am going to have to invest in heavily over the next X number of days, weeks, or months per the scope of work. You know, I always say when I was a fundraiser in a former life, and I always say that the reason I never worked at an agency for fundraising was because I could not have to be given a client and told by my boss, this is our newest client. What if I didn't believe in what I was fundraising for? I only fundraised as an in-house person because I already vetted the mission from stem to stern, right? So these are things where I have always said, I have my definition of success and I can't have to do something. I can't trade my time for money. I can't use a skill set I have if I don't believe in the reason I'm doing it. Um, So I think that that's also a big part of this. Leaders, please, if you want to create teams, that are going to not only, you know, gel well with you as their leader, but also gel well with one another. You need to give them permission to bring their full selves to the work. That I think is going to be critical during the the great resignation or the great reckoning or whatever moment that we are in right now. People do not leave places as quickly when they believe that their full self is appreciated and valued. It is very easy to leave a place where you feel like you were only there trading your time for money or your labor power. It's very easy to leave. Absolutely. Um, You know, I have to admit the, the part about it being riskier for marginalized communities hit home for me pretty hard because I recognize that I'm coming from a place of privilege and it's easy for me to say, Oh yeah, rock the boat, turn everything upside down. Um, so I think that's on many of us as allies to, you know, learn how, because I still think many of us don't know how yet. We're still learning how to be allies. But, you know, we talked about how to spot other wild hearts in the wild, if you will. We talked about the responsibility of leadership to create that infrastructure. But I think we also, there's a point that I didn't even plan for. I'll just say that. But we have a responsibility to spot that in each other and to advocate for each other and to be allies for people who may not feel as safe to, to speak up about, Hey, I really think we could do this differently or turn this sideways. And, um, and to watch for that body language and the facial expressions you were talking about. Oh, she has an idea. She is not saying it, but how can I, you know, either take her aside and, and get that out of her or stand up for her right now or whatever it might be. Um, So, yeah, I think there's our own responsibility in creating this for each other as well. Without question. I mean, using our privilege. And again, as I said before, inviting them. You know, we you know, there was always that old adage of like, what do you need a personal invitation? Well, like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, actually, especially in a world where we are now able to customize mass, you know, communication. People still need it's, you know, Melissa, I would I noticed you held something back. As you've said, 
know that person well enough that maybe calling them out in the meeting is not going to be the way, right? Really understand your people. But after the fact saying, you had something, I saw it in your eye, it twinkled, it was on the tip of your tongue. Would you feel comfortable sharing it with me? Because I would really love to hear it. And by the way, if you'd rather share it in writing, or you'd want to make me a video or create, you know, how would you like to share it? Some people are not great on the fly orally. They don't process that way. So again, as leaders, using our privilege, noticing when somebody who has an idea isn't sharing it, then asking them privately to share it in the way they feel safest and most comfortable, they are going to feel so seen. Mm. That is a person. Because I'm going to tell you, when that rock star gets that phone call from a headhunter, and they're going to say, and maybe we'll offer you more money or we'll offer you this, and they're going to be like, I'm feeling seen. My humanity is being respected. I might not jump as fast. This stuff really matters. It matters to be connected. Relationships matter. We have gotten so involved in transactions. And I can tell you as a sociologist, that is the thing that is ruining our disconnection from one another is part of what is destroying our organizations. Be a leader who notices things, who invites people personally to share with you in the ways they feel comfortable. And you're not so easy to leave, I promise. Absolutely. So we're coming toward the end of our time. Um, I want to do two things. One, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the world, especially the folks who might just be meeting you for the first time, what you've got going on right now, how people can connect with you. But before I do that, I want to publicly thank you because you absolutely made a difference for me when I was in, you know, one of the wildest rides that I've ever been on. You are an amazing coach and friend. And so thank you for that. And thank you for joining me on this show um, so that we can, I I wanted to publicly be able to have some of the conversations that we have had privately, because I think the world needs to hear a lot of this stuff. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. It's it's my pleasure, truly. Okay. So Dr. Allie Hill, (laughs) Allie, tell the world what you have going on, how people can find you, how they can connect with you. And we'll definitely put a lot of the stuff in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, let us know what's up. Sure. So, well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my work. Um, that is um, really kind of near and dear to me. I've certainly taken a lot of calculated risks to get to a place where I can bring my full self to work. Um, and as I said at the top of the show, for me, that did mean creating something for myself. Um So Sound Advice Women is all about serving the needs of women entrepreneurs and founders. Um, I started out doing one-on-one work, um, which I still do um, with a very select few number of uh, women because I recognize that I want to create a new world of entrepreneurship for women, which often belies the time it takes to do one-on-one work. Um, So I do work with a small number of women. But what I have going on, which I'm super excited about, is um, the book club that you referenced earlier, which is called Click Club. It's all about reading books written by women that are not necessarily business books, but that um, are about women's lived experiences. We read them together and then I kind of translate some of it into how you can use this incredibly wise text to um, uh, kind of elevate your own uh, practice as an entrepreneur. Um, And so we meet once a month live on Zoom for that. I create an executive summary. I know a book a month is a lot for people. Um, would love any woman who is interested either starting her own business or um, in the thick of it 
who would also love community. We have our own um, private chat forum. So we do have that kind of long tail. So please join us in Click Club. Um, I am also um, creating a, a very new group offering called The Circle. It is for 12 women maximum who really want to invest in not only their own learning, but peer learning, right? That zone of proximal development, got to be a little nerdy here, um, how much we can learn from one another as peers. Um, so it's going to be a mix of learning from me, learning from one another, a place to feel vulnerable without judgment. We're going to be talking about sales and business growth and building relationships, which I believe are the key to actual business growth rather than transactions. Um, we are about halfway full, but anybody who's interested, I would love to have a conversation with you. You have to be interviewed for that. It's a very um, a, a small group. I'm going to be launching a course on um, the emotionally intelligent entrepreneur, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, but all of this, um, if you go to soundadvicewomen.com, that's the best way to find me. Allie, A-L-I at soundadvicewomen.com. Find me there. I am not super great on social media. I think I, I am too wordy to figure out ever how to do that well. Um, but um, but certainly um, there's a lot on my website. And um, again, if you are considering entrepreneurship, please remember that this is in history the, um, let's say, most effective time for you to hang your own shingle. I'm not going to use the other E word easy because nothing is ever easy. But I do believe that you can do it. And having a group of women around you and an advisor who can help guide you um, are, are things that are more accessible than ever before. Please take the leap if you're interested in it. I promise the person you become will catch you. Oh, I'm so inspired. <laughs> Amazing. Well, again, Allie, thank you for everything and especially for joining us on the show today. You're always inspirational. You're always spot on with clarity and with research. And so uh, it's been a true pleasure. And until next time, dear hearts, stay wild. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissaboggs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.